Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. All right, so let me just tell you a little uh, bit about the origins of string theory. The origins of string theory really were in hadron physics. They did not have to do with quantum gravity. They had to do with protons, neutrons, mesons, particularly mesons. In fact, the theory was put forward at a time when it really wasn't even known that uh, for sure was suspected, but it wasn't known for sure that uh, protons and neutrons, mesons and so forth, had a quark content to them. It was suspected that a meson was a pair of quarks. The idea of gluons did not yet exist. The idea of gluons, well, in fact, it actually did. Um, but uh, nobody paid too much attention to it. Nembu had postulated something like it. But gluons were not part of the standard discussion of hadrons in, let's say, around 1969, 1968, 70. What starts here changes the world. Well, I've got to admit, I kind of like it. What starts here changes the world. We are the music makers, and we are the dreamers of dreams. The average American will meet 10,000 people in their lifetime. I was handcuffed to another man from another tribe whose language I did not speak. Don't think. But if every one of you changed the lives of just 10 people, and each one of those people changed the lives of another 10 people, and another 10, we did not know each other. And we could not speak to each other because if we could have spoken to each other, we might have been able to figure out what was happening to us. To every politician who is taking donations from the NRA. It is because America has not invested in its people. Shame on you. And you can change the entire population of the world, 8 billion people. And if we could have figured out what was happening to us, we might have been able to prevent it. If you think it's hard to change the lives of 10 people, change their lives forever. Well, it didn't happen. Here we are. You're wrong. Are you better off than you were four years ago? You didn't know this kid, okay? We did They're looking for help. We call BS. They're looking for help. They're not looking for more of the same. When people lose their jobs, there's a good chance I'll know them by their names. When a factory closes, I know the people who ran it. When the businesses go bankrupt, I know them. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. And when we get enough money, honey, we'll bring you down. But their children were saved. And their children's children. Generations were saved by one decision, one person. But changing the world can happen anywhere, and anyone can do it. So what starts here can indeed change the world. But the question is, what will the world look like after you change it? Welcome to Public, public Access America. What was part of standard hadron physics was one, an interesting fact that the number of particle states was large. There was the proton, and the neutron, of course, 
I'm not interested in the difference between proton and neutron. Just think of them as one thing, the nucleon. And then there was another particle which was very similar to the proton and neutron, had a little more spin and a little bit heavier mass. And then there was another one above that with a little bit heavier mass and a little bit larger spin. People drew pictures, diagrams. They were called chu frauchi flots, pl flots, not plots, flots, pl plots, plots. And they were diagrams which, which indicated the spectrum of objects like a proton, for example. And they plotted uh, horizontally here, let's see, they pl plotted vertically angular momentum and horizontally the square of the mass. Who decided to put the square of the mass there instead of the mass? Uh, nobody. The, the, the diagrams had a nicer look to them if you plotted mass squared. And what was discovered experimentally, this is an experimental fact, I'm getting, getting my P's and my F screwed up today, an experimental fact that the spectrum of particles, okay, let's start with the, uh, let's start with the proton. That has half a unit of spin and a mass of one in certain units, namely the unit in which the mass of the proton is one. That's approximately one GeV. Incidentally, at that time, the GeV didn't exist. It was the BeV for billion. Now it's giga. Okay? And so the proton and the neutron would, were over here. A mass of one, mass squared of one, and an angular momentum of a half. Then there's another particle with angular momentum three halves. These were fermions, and so their angular momentum was quantized in half integers. And so there was another one up here with a little bit bigger mass, another one, another one, and another one. And rather remarkably, these particles all formed a straight line, a straight line in the, uh, in the plot of L versus M. Now I should tell you, when Chu and Frauchi first put this forward, the logic of drawing a straight line, there were only two points on this plot. And they thought it was a theorem that through any two points you could draw a straight line. Well, it is a theorem, but uh, <laughs> these guys were not the smartest. Uh, well, they were pretty smart, but they, they, and so they said, oh, there's two points. Let's draw a straight line through them. And miraculously, as experiment went on, the additional particles all landed on the same line. In m squared, yes, they actually said in m squared. They, they plotted it as a function of m squared and l and said, two points, let's draw a straight line. And that worked well, out just fine. But I mean, that explains why m squared is the axis there, because they're hypothesizing l is proportional to m squared somehow. They were. Why, were they, why did they postulate that instead of l proportional to m? They were lucky. <laughs> they were lucky, or else they had some deep... Uh, no, it, it, wasn't I'm, uh, it wasn't entirely luck, and it wasn't entirely, and it wasn't a stupid uh, guess either. There was some interesting reasons for it. But the same pattern held true for all hadrons, or at least for all hadrons that have been studied in detail. For example, the pi meson. The pi meson also exists on a trajectory. These are known as regge trajectories, R-E-G-G-E. For the, uh, for the Italian physicist Tullio Regge. Uh, they're called Regge trajectories. 
And if you plotted the meson spectrum, the meson spectrum, mesons are bosons, so the angular momenta were integers. For example, the pi meson has almost zero mass. Its mass squared is even smaller than its mass. It's true in units of a GeV. Miss an episode of Public Access America? Download the SoundCloud app now on your iPhone or Android device to catch up. Stanford University. All right, so the pi meson was almost massless with almost zero angular momentum. And then there's the next one up. I forget what it's called. Um, uh, I don't remember what the next one is called. I used to know, but I don't remember anymore. Uh, the next one up, and the next one up, and five, six, seven particles along a uh, trajectory like that. The rho meson, which was another meson, which starts with angular momentum one. Also, same pattern. And what's more, all of these trajectories were parallel to each other. They were parallel to each other, which said, whatever this m squared thing is, it takes exactly the same energy, well, not exactly, but approximately the same energy to increase the m squared by when you, to increase m squared when you increase the angular momentum. In other words, the spectrum was quantized. Of course it was quantized. These were particles, and this is quantum mechanics. The spectrum was quantized, but in each case, the same relationship between L and M squared and the same quantum jump in M squared when you increased L by one unit. One unit now means in units of Planck's constant, of course. Okay. So there's something going on that was giving rise to large numbers of particles of higher and higher angular momentum. Higher angular momentum is not that uncommon. You take a basketball, you leave it at rest, that basketball has a certain energy and therefore a certain mass, and you could plot it someplace. And now you spin the uh, basketball. Give it one unit of Planck's angular momentum. That's not easy to do, incidentally. <laughs> but when it has some angular momentum, it will be rotating. It will have some rotational energy. So if you increase its angular momentum by one unit, you will have to increase its energy by a little bit. Tiny, tiny bit for a basketball. And you can keep increasing the angular momentum of the basketball. As you do so, the energy will increase. In fact, it will not look like a straight line. It will look like a curve. And it will end somewhere. Why does the curve end? The curve ends simply because at some angular velocity, the centrifugal forces are so large that the basketball will just be torn apart. Right? So it ends someplace at some high angular momentum, which represents uh, you know, the strength of materials, how, how uh, strong is uh, whatever uh, basketballs are made out of. <clears throat> so trajectories like that were not unusual. You can plot them for atoms. Atoms also have the property that as you increase their angular momentum, you increase their, ma their energy, their mass, energy and mass being the same thing. Uh, but again, for an atom, uh, there's only, only so much mass you can give it before you ionize the atom. Okay. So 
what was unusual, particularly unusual, and again, incidentally for Adams, they would not be straight lines. What was unusual here was the simplicity of the formula or the simplicity of the observation, rather straight lines. I mean, they were all straight and parallel to each other. And um, when you say parallel, I mean, how, how do you mean? I mean that if you were to plot the meson or the baryon or the proton or the neutron or the pi meson or the rho meson, its excited states would form the same, uh, the same line. In other words, you take a set of particles, a family of particles. Hmm? Same slope. Same slope. And it was called the universal Rege slope. Same for bosons and fermions. Same for different families of, uh, of bosons and fermions. Now, this is strictly for those objects which are hadrons, those things made up out of quarks and gluons which we now today recognize as being made up of quarks and gluons. Uh, that was one observation. The implication of this observation was fairly clear, even though it was misinterpreted at the time in many, many quarters. Uh, it was fairly clear. It said that hadrons were composite, that you could spin them up. This is not something you can do with an electron. There is no excited state of an electron with higher angular momentum, at least not, uh, not uh, within uh, current experimental bounds. Uh, so electrons are like points. You can't, you can't spin a point. Uh, uh, spinning a point doesn't mean anything. Turning a point, you can spin a lump. So somehow these objects were not simple point particles. That was the message that should have been, and then in many quarters was taken from this. And in fact, that they had a stretchability that uh, from this picture you could deduce if you wanted, and we will, we will, you could deduce the fact that they deform as they spin. You wouldn't, it's not obvious from here, but you can. All right, but there was something else. There was another observation, which was a very bizarre ob observation. Let me describe it to you in terms of meson-meson scattering. Let's take meson-meson, and then for particular, let's take pi-meson-pi-meson pi scattering. Here's a pion coming in, a pi-meson. It's called pi. Doesn't matter whether it's pi plus, pi minus, doesn't matter. And it scatters off another pi-meson. There is a particle called the rho meson, which, while it's not a composite of two pi mesons, two pi mesons can come together at a vertex in a Feynman diagram and make a rho meson. Let's make the rho meson like that. We're going to talk, we, we may or may not talk more about these mesons. It's not important, the, the idea is important, but the particular names are not important. Rho meson. And then that pi meson could, uh, then that rho meson could materialize as a pair of pi mesons again, this being a Feynman diagram, conventional Feynman diagram, and it would govern the properties of pion-pion scattering probabilities. Public Access America is on Instagram sharing our episode art, snippets of the stories, sneak peeks of upcoming episodes, and more. Search hashtag BigBrainPod for more. Stanford University. That was the first thing. Now, 
these are all pions here, any quantum field theorist would immediately tell you if you have this diagram here, where the two pions come in this way and make a rho meson and then go off as two pions, there will be another diagram which looks like this. It's just the same diagram turned on its side, where a rho meson is exchanged between two pi mesons. In this case, a rho meson jumps from here to here, and this, without the pions ever annihilating. But this is just the same diagram turned on its side, and if one exists, the other has to exist. That's a consequence of principles of quantum field theory. So that's something that, uh, that everybody believed. But then, once it was recognized that this rho meson was not uh, a unique creature, but came along with this whole family, this whole regit trajectory of excited states, it became clear that there was no reason to only have a rho meson in here. You could add together all the various, you could add pi mesons come in, form not the rho meson, but the next excited state of the rho meson, or the next excited state of the rho meson. And so actually when you draw this diagram, you're really committed to adding up the contribution of all the mesons along here. Likewise here, if you can exchange a rho meson, you can also exchange all the excited states. Well, there was something very, very suspicious, very, very peculiar when people numerically went to do this. They actually added up from known experimental data the contributions of the rho meson, the rho prime meson, the rho double prime meson, and so forth and so on. They did that, and they did the same thing for the exchange of the rho meson, and they found something rather remarkable. They found that to some approximation, the sum over all the rho mesons going this way gave rise to about the same thing as the sum over all the rho mesons and its partners going in the opposite, in the, in the other channel, it was called. In other words, it appeared to be overcounting all you needed to represent the data and all that you needed to represent the, the, the physics of pi pi scattering was summing over rho, rho prime, rho double prime in this annihilation process, annihilation and recreation process. And in fact, you didn't need to add this in because this already seemed to contain it, numerically, numerically. On the other hand, it was also true that you could ignore this altogether and add all, all this up. And again, get the right answer, get something which looked pretty much like experimental data. That was very peculiar. Any quantum field theorist would look at this and say, complete how, rubbish, you, 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 if you have this, you have to add that, you have to add it. You don't, uh, you don't get to say it's this or this, you get to say it's this and this. Okay? But peculiarly, when you added up all these contributions, it simply gave you for free the effects of another diagram here. For that reason, I and other people began to draw diagrams which looked not so much like Feynman diagrams, but which looked more like this. We didn't know what we were doing. We were just saying, look, Something's going on here. First of all, we had the idea that there were quarks. Quarks were not a new idea. 
Well, he said, what must be going on is there must be a picture which looks something like this. Replacing the Feynman diagram, this would be a quark, this would be an anti-quark, this would be a quark going this way, an anti-quark going this way, and likewise over here. We drew diagrams like that. Now, it took some time for us to think about filling in what goes on in here. We just drew pictures like this, and we said, look at this. If you think about somehow what's going on has a topology, let's call it a topology, which looks like this, then look, if you cut it this way, if you imagine slicing it in an instant of time, time is running upward, of course, in all, uh, in all pictures, Feynman diagrams, time we're allowing to run upward, if you slice this right through the middle, then you see something that looks like a Feynman diagram in which two particles come together and join and make another particle. If we think of particles as pairs of quarks, then this figure here can represent a picture like this. On the other hand, if we take that same picture and slice it this way, it looks like a picture in which something is jumping across. Slice it the other way, it looks like these two particles produced a thing which jumped from this side to this side. So this was kind of the origin of pictures. One more ingredient was added. It was just added for fun. And just just a, curious, a, a curious question. If there are these quarks, what's holding those quarks together? Well, maybe it's something in here. These are space-time diagrams, of course. Maybe something is bridging between the quarks. And if so, then when you slice through these diagrams, then what you would see is two quarks with something bridging between them. And that something, of course, would have the structure of something one-dimensional connecting a quark and an anti-quark. A string and a pair of quarks. If you cut it the other way, that same two-dimensional sheet here could be sliced into a picture where a string was exchanged from one side to another. This was the very crude origins of the idea of string theory. In fact, it isn't exactly where it came from, but it could have. Uh, it did, to some extent. Different people thought of it different ways. To those who would tear the world down, we will defeat you. This is our moment. This is our time. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. Yes, we can. And to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright, tonight we prove once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth, but from the enduring power of our ideals, democracy, liberty, opportunity, and unyielding hope. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and Yes, we can. What your country can do for you, I have a dream.
to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. But it ain't about how hard you get. It's about how hard you get and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how we're going to Yes, we can. I wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad to prove to everyone that I what? Public Access America. Yes, we can. On SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and now Facebook. Public Access, Public America. Access America. History in the history making. In the making. 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 History in history the making. making. Public Access America is waiting for you on the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Download the app for free on your Android device or iPhone and subscribe to Public Access America. Stanford University.